0: Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Some of the meals available in January, seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, sounds delicious, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic knots, also into it, spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furukake. I'm not a huge seafood person, but I'll try. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash women you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron so don't wait that's blueapron.com slash women Blue Apron a better way to cook This podcast is brought to you by Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foam creates an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. I've experienced it myself, and I wasn't paid to say that. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015, next to the thing I designed to keep my tampon in place. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, considering you will spend a third of your life there. Isn't that sad? Don't you just kind of want to end it now? Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com/lena and using offer code lena. My name is Lena Dunham and we're at the Lennox Hill Emergency Room where until this podcast airs I go by the name Sorry angels, can't reveal my alias. To you, I remain Lena Dunham, and this remains Women of the Hour. Today we're talking about sickness and health. This episode, and all our episodes, are brought to you by MailChimp. Over 14 million people use MailChimp, and you can too, even if you're sick like me almost all the time, in both body and mind. public about my affair with endometriosis, a disease of the reproductive system that affects approximately one out of every ten women. While the symptoms and I have been fuck buddies for years, it was in 2016 that we really became monogamous. Over that period, I had three surgeries, 10 ER visits, and a slew of desperate calls to the patient doctors I am lucky enough to be able to afford. During one flare-up, after a full and busy work day, I reported to the ER and forced women of the hour producer Liz Watson to accompany me and record a process I have undergone countless times when my pain starts to surprise and even scare me. Hello. How's it going? Okay. Hello. How are How you? Are you? Uh, better
1: than you, I guess. I
0: guess you are a little I'm sorry better. Sorry
1: about that.
0: Don't you worry. You know, I'm used to it. I have some I have some uppity ovaries. <laughs> they,
1: but that gives me
0: all kinds of trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna check your vital signs so that we have
0: baseline. I think it's am some major pain. I would say it's around an eight okay. on a scale of one to ten. So that's me. I just I'll alert my doctor of that too. Before we go any further, I'll explain three basic challenges of endometriosis. One, it cannot be diagnosed without laparoscopic surgery. Two, it can be controlled but cannot be cured. Three. The symptoms can be maddeningly similar to a range of other illnesses, including colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, appendicitis, kidney infection, autoimmune disease, and, to less aware doctors, being a fucking crazy-ass bitch with a raging period. The medical establishment does little in the way of research, and doctors who know the disease intimately are few and far between. As I once heard Barbara Streisand say so eloquently, and let's put this in the Bible, healthcare is sexist. The stigma around the reproductive system is part of why I'm so obsessively polite to nurses, doctors, and wheelchair pushers. Maybe, with the correctly sunny disposition, I can show them beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm not here on a mission for drugs and sympathy. I just want to get back to work. Thank you. Do you work the night shift?
1: For the past six years, yes.
0: Wow. Hero.
1: Well, my wife prefers it that way. She says it's the only way she has a social life. (laughs)
0: That's That's crazy. Hear that? I care a lot about his life. With showy, sugary gusto, I care. Because even when you know, as I do from multiple surgeries and biopsies, that your disease is real, it's a challenge to explain and defend it to doubters both within the medical profession and outside it. Even the most well-meaning friends ask when you'll be all better, and you want so badly to offer a clear answer. Your life narrows and your symptoms, or lack thereof, become an obsession as you track your pelvis for signs of alien life. Every day, I'm in a new dialogue with myself about how to forget the pain I've struggled with in the past and focus on making new, healthy memories with my body. I'm on TV, so I have occasional weirdos who like to follow me to the hospital. Which, uh, you know, you try to avoid them if you can. That's my assistant, Liz. Yes, my friend, Liz.
2: That's what my wife does. She's an assistant. Oh, neat. From Jerry Stiller.
0: Oh, my God. That's amazing.
2: (gasps) For 16 years.
0: Wow. I heard he's a really nice guy. Oh,
2: they're wonderful. Wait, that's wild.
0: In this moment, I wish so much that I could be Jerry Stiller's assistant. It seems so relaxing and like it would involve a wealth of bagels and not a ton of vaginal probes. One, two, three. This is my fourth time in the last three and a half months being um, in the Lenox Hill emergency room. Third time for ovarian troubles. Once was a broken radial head elbow fracture caused by. Uh, caused by tripping over a flip-flop but this is my fourth time and I spend a lot of time in this emergency room.
3: Great and what's going on tonight?
0: I thought I had a urinary tract infection for about a week been hurting more and more started antibiotics didn't do anything and the pain in my back and my uh, pelvis has become overwhelming and so I'm here to figure out if I have an ovarian cyst or some other kind of ovarian issue that's causing the continuous pain that is draining me of my life force.
3: And what procedure are we looking at tonight?
0: A vaginal ultrasound is what I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess a vaginal ultrasound, potentially an exterior ultrasound, and if they're feeling nice to me, they'll help me a little with my pain. <laughs> that's, that's the basic gist of what's happening at Lennox Hill this evening. I am horrified by my own wealth of medical knowledge. I could certainly read my own ultrasound with a quickness.
4: It may not just be a UTI.
0: That's my internist, Dr. Sandra Gelbard. Her appearance in my life was a blessing because of her deep understanding of the illness and her passion for listening to patients, specifically women.
5: And the other thing that really made me think that maybe this could be a cyst is the fact that the lab work, the white blood cell count was normal, and the urine analysis came back after we spoke as negative. It's not the culture. No, 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 it's not the culture, but But it's a preliminary type of screening. And this has happened to me
0: before where I thought I had a UTI and it ended up being something that was endo-related or cyst-related.
5: Right, right, right. You know, this is not like what it was previously where we had surgery and all of that. We've been down that road. This is just we're gonna check things out and we're gonna be able to handle it medically. That's amazing. But the big thing is is that you really listen I mean you really listened to your body this time. Well thank you. I think much earlier on
0: I did because last time I had that cyst pain for like two weeks before I came in. Yeah ridiculous So this is different. Good. It's different this time has been the year's refrain. I realized with horror on New Year's Eve 2016 as I sat on a rolling cot in a corner of Lenox Hill that I have promised myself every visit would be my last, imbuing each subsequent one with a sense of failure. This mixes with my guilt, fear, and physical pain to create a signature cocktail nobody would want to drink. What if I just admitted that I didn't know what was coming, that my body was always surprising me, and I needed to learn to surf its waves? I'm about to have some pain medication and we're going to see if two milligrams of morphine does anything for this old dame. I'm pretty sensitive. Hopefully it will get rid of whatever's going on here. I'm so appreciative. Narcotic painkillers rule. I mean, when you're in pain, they have the miraculous effect of both erasing the physical sensation and deadening any guilt, anxiety, or panic that may accompany it. They also totally do not rule. They are highly addictive, causing an epidemic of addiction and death, often spurred by a basic doctor's visit for a condition like mine. I was raised by a hyper-aware addict in recovery, and so these drugs never enter my body without my mind flashing to an image of me jaundiced and sweating, living out of a van down by the river. Morphine's ability to relieve distress and to decimate a life are always interlinked for me, and I've been known to immediately dispose of the pills the moment I no longer need them, plagued by the sense they release dark energy into my home. Hello, four milligrams of morphine just went straight into my blood, and I had that, like, kind of like train spotting looking twitch like hot feeling on the top of my head and let's just say the pain is gone it was like all this pain it's so crazy jenny once put it really well it's like it takes your pain and pushes it a foot away from your body so it's like you're walking hand in hand with your pain rather than your pain like inhabiting you it's weird to be sick and then actually like experience pleasure in the process of healing your pain I'm not articulating this very well because I'm fucking high but it's like the pain's gone and it's not just replaced with lack of pain it's replaced with like lack of giving a shit about anything so like if you told me right now like your boyfriend's dumping you he's been fucking one of B.O.B.'s backup dancers just to anyone hot special cool I'd be like live I was like I've got nothing wrong over here it just makes everything so um seem so light Another reason to avoid drugs when you can is because they make you intolerably smug and totally fucking stupid. Case in point, me. After a week spent in the hospital, I had the uncomfortable experience of withdrawing from medication. I shook, I sweat, I cried. I felt like I'd done something terribly wrong just by wanting to feel better. I emptied my bladder and I'm lying on what looks like one of those sex wedges that they advertise at the back of New York Magazine, but is a, and I'm going to have a probe inserted in my vagina. They put something on it that's not a con. You guys claim it's not a condom, but it sure looks like a condom. <laughs> Probe's going in. So
5: you're more on the right side, right?
0: Your pain? My pain's more on the right side, for sure. Is the probe in? The probe is like at the, oh, it's going in now it's in. How long ago was the surgery? The last surgery I had was seven weeks ago, yesterday. And it was on my right ovary and I also had a DNC. What does DNC stand for,
5: Sandra? Uh, dilation and dilation and,
0: and-
5: dilation and courage. Like yeah. courage, where you like wipe everything out, you clean out
0: Yeah, almost all like the like, lining. It's like the spring cleaning of your uterus. I mean, you're being really brave. Thank you so much, Liz. You're so sweet. Liz is paid to say that, but it still made me cry.
5: I think you have a lot of healing tissue. I think you're inflamed. I think your hormones have been so out of whack and your body is just readjusting now and we have to ride through it. I can ride through it.
0: That's what women have been trained to do. There's a certain amount of pain we expect, from the first time we have sex until the moment we push a child out of our bodies, and so we march on, ready to bear it. I did mushrooms in college, and my big transcendent experience was seeing and feeling myself as part of an endless lineage of women, a chain stretching above me and extending far below. I saw myself as a tiny chip of crystal, laid in a sacred line, and I was the same as every other woman who had fought her way forward from infancy. It's hard to replicate shit you feel on psychedelics, but my illness is as close as I've come to knowing that feeling again. Every one of us, pushing through and asking only, what is next? Of all the gynecologists, internists, holistic practitioners, psychics, crystal gurus, and vaginal masseuses in my Rolodex, there's one who stands out above all the rest. Some of you may know her as A.D. Bryant of SNL, but to me, she's just Dr. Pennyweather, trusted healer. Hello, I'm Dr. Tatiana Pennyweather,
2: and as a serious 21st century woman, I have discovered a range of new illnesses not yet recognized by the establishment. Many of these, while not life-threatening, can ultimately lead to the destruction of relationships, loss of employment, and even being called words like bitch, thought, or extra. Although still unacknowledged in my field, I believe if I can gather just $9 million of research money before March of 2017, I will have a real shot at getting these illnesses recognized and researched by the National Institute of Health First, I just have to take some science classes, get into medical school, finish medical school, do my residency, and buy a small condominium in a building that allows Pomeranians. Illness number one. Just got done-itis. You know the vibe. You're late for brunch with your friends, your bangs are askew, you're wearing a parka and short shorts even though the weather is a middling 62 degrees. When your friends ask what you want to eat, you just giggle and you're like, I don't even know. I don't even know. And then you insert a weird, obvious yawn until finally one of them is forced to ask you what you did last night. And you say, (laughs) y'all, Ralph effed me so good, okay? Seriously, it was the craziest thing that's ever happened. Now, instead of focusing on French toast and current events, your friends have to listen to the full story of Ralph taking you to sushi samba, Buying you a turquoise ring on English Street, and then pulling off the hat trick. For those who are not doctors, that's three holes in one night. Why do you assume that just because your friends are girls, they want to giggle about Ralph? Maybe they wanted to discuss their latest portfolio investments, or reminisce about wet seal. You don't know, and you know why you don't know? Because you didn't ask, you ding-dong. Unfortunately, the only cure for this is for them to mute you on all media for at least six weeks until your relationship with Ralph explodes into a party of lies and indiscretions involving a Starbucks barista. (music) Illness number two. Faux feelings fever. We all know her. She's nice. She's conscientious. She'd pick you up after surgery, but... Every time a tragedy happens in a city she's never even been to, she cries. Did you hear about those construction workers in Kansas? It's so awful. They were just trying to do their jobs. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to eat my cheese sandwich and now you're crying. And making me feel super guilty that I'm not crying about... Something involving exactly zero people I know. Have you seen the news lately? It's awful. If we actually took it all in, we'd be crying all the time, and then we'd just drop dead. So I'm going to need you to buck up, or I will have to enact the cure, which is forcibly giving you a bowl cut, Betty Page bangs, so that you really have something to cry about. (music) Illness number three at keeping it real algia. We're sitting across from each other at a boutique coffee joint, catching up over matcha lattes. I'm telling you about a French exchange student who said anal counted as course credit at the Sorbonne. And you're nodding and listening when you stop, really slowly lean in and ask... Can I keep it real for a second? What follows is inevitably wildly offensive, but disguised as concern, and it needles its way into my brain for about three weeks and makes me hate you till one of us has died. Since when did keeping it real become a badge of honor? In Jane Austen times, even enemies said, Adieu, Madam Honeypot. I trust that you're faring well. Why don't you just do that? Why do you need to be the person who explains my massive issues to me? Is someone secretly offering you prize money? Cure. Stop keeping up with the Kardashians and start keeping up with some manners. (music) Illness number four, flagrant disrespectomania. This may be the most dangerous of all the diseases and it's probably leading to a bunch of murders and stuff. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You text your friend you're meant to meet at The Gap. You've discussed linking up around 12.30 to pick up some crisp denim and sweet teas. She doesn't answer, so you pop in the shower then decide to scroll through the gram and what do you find? At Tony B. Morrison 3232 32, has liked, oh, 11 photos. Your friend Tanya meeting a mini Shetland pony? Liked. A random donut covered in Captain Crunch from Portland? Liked. Molly Sims' third baby shower? Liked and commented. Congrats, I've loved you since your work on the NBC drama Las Vegas. Why was it cancelled? Teary face. But no response to that text? None at all? Finally, she texts you back. I'm so sick, frowny face. You're like, okay, maybe she's sick. She tells you to get your butt to the gap. She doesn't want you to miss the sale on her account. Cut to you're at the gap, waiting for a fitting room with your haul over your arm, and you open Instagram. At Tony B. Morrison3232 has posted, La La Land is the best movie ever. So glad I decided to watch on the big screen! Beneath a pick of her kissing a stand up cardboard Ryan Gosling. The Cure. Straight up Kill Bill style katana ass murder. <laughs> that was the greatest. Oh, my God. I really embodied this. I really, like, went there.
0: (laughs) Maybe laughter really is the best medicine. Just kidding. It's antibiotics plus probiotics. Patch Adams lied, you fucking idiots. That was AD Bryant reading to you about a bunch of fake diseases invented, or maybe, in fact, discovered by me. This podcast is sponsored by Casper. Casper is the dopest mattress that all the hippest kids are using. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's got supportive memory foam, creating an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. I actually bought one before I was even given any Casper money for my podcast. And I got to tell you, I haven't regretted it. And I almost never leave bed. Is that depression? Who can say? Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, since you're going to spend about a third of your life there. Really think about that, and just really let that sink in. How much of your life you spend sleeping. Free shipping returns to the U.S. and Canada. Get $50 towards any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com lena and using offer code Lena. Yeah, the guys at Casper are pretty into me. Thank you again to Blue Apron for sponsoring us today. Blue Apron seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. The beef is raised humanely, the chickens are free range, the pork is raised naturally, and regenerative farming practices are used for produce. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste. I think we can all agree that at this moment in history, it's never been more important to think about what you're putting into your body and how you're taking care of your environment. Cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. My boyfriend and I haven't cooked together in over seven months, and the last time we did it, we were just figuring out how to make frozen toast. Some of the meals available in January are seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic knots spicy shrimp and korean rice cakes with cabbage and furukake check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com women you're gonna love how good it feels and tastes to create home-cooked meals with blue aprons so do not wait and let your family fall apart that's blueapron.com women blue apron a better way to cook What brings more joy in life than finding a friend in an unexpected place? I didn't think I'd find a friend for life when my uterus was sloshing around with so much blood it looked like the fucking Kool-Aid man, but my assorted hospital trips blessed me with a dear friend in the form of my doctor, Sandra Gelbard. Maybe that's why I have a soft spot for this next story of a very unlikely friendship forged through a real mother of a disease. It's the tale of how Alex Davison, who at the time was a teen battling cancer with style and bravery, met Joss Whedon, the man behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Avengers, and a whole lot of other fan fiction faves.
4: I'm Alex Davison, and I'm a former Make-A-Wish kid. When I was 17, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer. And I was in the hospital when I was diagnosed. I'd been like serious, pretty seriously ill, so by the time I was diagnosed, we kind of... We knew that something was killing me, we just didn't know what. And I just remember sitting sitting in my hospital bed and uh, having a little cry because I'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And the social worker comes up to me and she's patting my shoulder and she goes, well, on the bright side, you're 17, so you qualify for a make-a-wish. I decided I wanted to meet Joss Whedon. Um, I'd been a fan of Buffy pretty much since I was like prepubescent. I basically grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I actually asked for, I remember specifically, lunch with Joss Whedon, because I wanted it to be a very contained hour. I figured that there was less time for it to get like weird. I finished treatment for cancer and then was re-diagnosed again. My cancer came back. And then I think the following year after that, the wish finally happened in like 2011 of, uh, of March. It was the day after I turned 19. And so five years later, we're doing this to talk about our friendship. What's up, Jess?
1: So this is where I get to be in the story, finally.
4: Oh, here I go making it all about me and my petty problems.
1: This was my first time ever being a wish. First and only. Absolute reaction when I heard that somebody wanted to come have lunch with me for Make A Wish was like, Sweetie, aim higher. <laughs> there's famous people, there's islands, there's way better things. And then you came out to Albuquerque. We had lunch in my um in my office. I what I remember best about that was just uh you know, we'd known each other for about ten minutes. And then I was like, well, here, we've got our food and, and, and come over, and I'll clear off the other side of my desk here. We'll be like, well, we'll have a, a little date. And you just went, yeah, well, that's really creepy. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I mean, like a lunch date, like a business thing. Like we're doing lunch. But I just loved the fact that you just slammed me like right away. <laughs>
4: I came in with a list of questions, and I was ready to just kind of treat it like an interview, and I was surprised how, how quickly it turned into a hangout.
1: I don't even remember you asking questions. I'm sure you did. But I just remember us talking and me going, oh, yeah, this is this is one of my tribe. This is one of my people. <laughs> this is someone I can talk to. Aww. And as long as I don't uh, put her on a bicycle, she'll be fine.
4: Oh, yeah. You had an electric bicycle, and you let me ride it, and I crashed it.
1: Which, of course, (laughs) I was just like, oh, God, I broke the invalid.
4: You came over to me, and I was fine, but I'd scraped up my palms a little bit, catching my fall. And I just remember you came over to me with this this look of horror on your face. And you said, oh God, I made you bleed.
1: <laughs> it's Generally, that's considered a bad thing when you're visited by a sick person is making them bleed. Try not to make them cry or bleed or vomit. And I think I might've gotten a hat trick there. I think I might've done all three.
4: I mean, it was my favorite part of the visit. <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. There you go. That doesn't speak very well for my conversational skills, unfortunately.
4: I mean, to to be fair, I I was actively going through chemotherapy at the time. I probably wasn't the most lucid for a lot of those conversations.
1: It was it was weird for me just because I, um, in my adult life, I've known three teenagers who had cancer uh, none of whom survived and i'm very i'm not super great at dealing um you have to so you learn to. but i was sort of like i don't know what it's going to be like to actually sit down with this person and how it's going to make me feel but um it was really yeah it was just so easy
4: yeah you invited me back
1: marvel actually uh Uh, footed the bill uh, for your second trip back.
4: Cancer brings out the best in people. There
1: should be more cancer. I'm missing the point, aren't I?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Cancer for everyone. (laughs) At the end of the Make-A-Wish visit, you'd kind of offhandedly been like, yeah, you should come back. And I thought that it was, I I honestly thought it was just lip service. So I was like, yeah, okay, Joss. It was nice to meet you. I'll see you never. And then you actually followed through. And I thought, oh, wow, this guy feels really sorry for me. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, you know, when it became clear that you were actually well enough, at least for a while to, uh, to do it. It seemed like the natural thing. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure that was going to happen, but I was sure that like having you around was not going to be a problem.
4: Yeah. And by the time, I think by the time we saw each other again, I, I think I had just finished up treatment for good. So after that I was on, my health was on an upswing from then on.
1: I feel like you had more hair.
4: Slightly more hair. I was a little bit bald when we first met.
1: Yes, you had a baldishness to you. Ironically, so do I. But uh, mine hasn't gone away. <laughs> and then you came out a third time.
4: Yeah, I was out at the Avengers three times. It was awesome. And then, and then somehow we just kind of kept talking and bumping into each other in various parts of the world.
1: I remember when you, when you first got into college or got to go to college. Actually, we're actually, we there and and. Uh, You and I had a lot of long talks, like a lot of late-night hour-plus conversations. It was a pretty funky time for me, and uh, I just remember being interested that we had a different friendship, we still do, than I have with anyone else. There was this, I don't know, a weird kind of freedom when we talk and a sort of different perspective on, on both of our many, many problems um and our our ill ill working minds. Yeah. made it really important to me. It made it something like a real touchstone for me that we could have this.
4: I've been thinking about that a lot because I feel like our conversations got very intimate pretty quickly and I think I think a part of that was just you know, we don't we don't see each other that often. We don't really live in the same worlds. It was I think the distance helped me kind of like open up to you because it it felt less immediate if I was vulnerable with you because there was so much physical distance between us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also sent me some emails about the experience of being sick that were like so extraordinary, so revelatory and painful and um, beautifully written and just kind of devastating. That was the first time I really understood what a writer you were.
4: I wasn't even a writing major until until after you kind of suggested that I look at becoming a writer.
1: God, I'm great.
4: Yeah, I left a major where I was pretty much guaranteed employment to do something because you asked me to. If it doesn't work <laughs> out, it's your fault.
1: Good, because writing skills um, always pay off no matter what. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, the stuff was the stuff was great. The stuff was, it was, it felt like you were speaking in a way that you didn't speak to other people as well.
4: I feel really lucky to have someone in my life where I can send these, I could send these really just dark and vulnerable emails and thoughts to someone and know that they were being read and understood in a way that I never really, that I didn't really feel like I'd, I'd had before. And then also just You know, you're such a kind person. I I often feel so lucky just to know you because of your kindness.
1: I'm sure you're thinking of someone else.
4: Oh, yeah. Someone else who like flew me out to the set a couple, a few times or like took me to Comic-Con. Must have been someone else. Uh, I met Joss in New York last August and we went to go see a bunch of different musicals while, and plays while we were there. So we saw Fun Home, which had just won a Tony.
1: The whole Fun Home experience you know which just seems to like be aimed at target audience you <laughs> and i come out of it weeping and you're like yeah that's pretty good
4: well i think you have to keep in mind that right before fun home started while we were sitting in the audience i realized that i was gay so i think i was a little <laughs> i was a little preoccupied with that and then Tignotaro was there, and I started crying because because Tignotaro had just walked past me, and then I realized I was gay, and then the show started.
1: That was one of the most extraordinary moments of my life. You have to, you know, you have to know obviously that you just turned to me and went, "Oh my God, I'm gay," and I was like, "Don't cry, don't cry, stay cool." <laughs> Who gets that moment? Who gets to be that privileged? I was just. I was just like, oh wow. I
4: was so glad that I was with you cuz you're such a you're such a calming person to be like, this is fine. This is not a big deal. You can it's okay. This is a beautiful moment. And then and I, you know, immediately started trying to reconcile it with like, well, oh, but I've had boyfriends before, but I guess I've never like I guess i never really like had sex with them. So I don't know. And then you looked at me and you goes, "Well, I can think of a few reasons for that. One might be because you're gay. Uh, another <laughs> might be your homosexuality. Uh third B could be because of your lesbianism.
1: <laughs> Any one of those is a perfectly valid theory. Yeah, you, you were never just some kid. I think you skipped that phase somehow.
4: no one told me.
1: Yeah, well, no, we didn't want you to get a big head full of cancer. <laughs> big gay cancer head. What? <laughs> Obviously, that's what we all call you.
4: Oh, that's cool, because I just call you kind of like old, quiet, bald man.
1: I'm not quiet. <laughs> Uh, Alex is one of my best friends that I never see. <laughs> Probably my best friend that I never see.
4: I feel the same. He's one of the most important people in my life these days. And he has been for a while.
1: Likewise. How about that?
0: Aw. That was Alex Davison and Josh Whedon. Can I crash this party, guys? It's both cozy and inspiring. It ain't all broken uteri and aching bones around here, ladies. Your mental health is just as important as your physical health. So don't neglect your brains or I'll come over and weep very gently at you asking, how do I move forward when I'm so stuck in this pain? In service of our psyches, we welcome back podcast queen Tracy Clayton to Women of the Hour with some very necessary mental health advice.
5: Hey, everybody. My name is Tracy Clayton, and I am co-host of the BuzzFeed podcast, Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. And I am here to give you a quick list of seven things that you can do to make sure that your mental health stays intact over the next four years as our country potentially slowly burns to ashes. And beyond that, life is just hard sometimes. And I feel like women, especially women of color, are never taught how to properly take care of themselves and prepare themselves to step outside and fight literally the whole world because that's what being a woman of color anywhere means in America and elsewhere so here's how you can upgrade your life and your mental health and your sanity and other such things forever (laughs) please note I'm not a professional anything these are just tips that I wrote down when I was drunk (laughs) and woke up and they still sounded good Number one, find a therapist. If you have the means, if you have the insurance, if you have the support, and support is a really big part of finding a therapist because I feel like there are a lot of moments when, um, especially for people of color and especially for black people, a lot of times we feel a certain type of shame in needing help with an illness that nobody else can physically see. If nobody can see your arm in a cast, then they don't really believe that you're hurt, you know? But that is not how mental health works. It makes as much sense to be unhappy and not see a therapist as it does to have the flu and not go to a doctor. It's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. Some places that you can start to find a therapist are Psychology Today. And you can try psychology institutes in your very own towns. So that's step one. If you can, if you have the means and the access, do that. And remember that asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Number two is something that I have not done enough of yet, but I'm going to, and that is read and educate yourself. When you just don't know stuff, sometimes your brain can, like, fill in the gaps. And if you have a brain like mine, it just, like, fills it in with the worst stuff. Make sure that the conclusions that you draw and the things that you hear are informed and educated. And to do that, you got to read, you got to read, you got to read. A place that you can start educating yourself is this really, really great list that Melissa Harris Perry put together for Elle.com. And it is called 24 Books, Essays, and Other Texts to Read because you're still having trouble processing the election, which is a perfect, perfect place to start. I'm going to start there. You should start there too. Number three is very, very important for the next four years and for the rest of your life, and that is get a good self-care plan. Because especially for women and especially for women of color, we're all used to taking care of other people and we feel like it's the thing that we're supposed to do. It's the reason that we're here. But who takes care of us? We have to take care of us. And you know what? You deserve softness. You deserve a break. You deserve a treat. You deserve rewards. And you deserve... To just not engage. I really like soft socks. So I make frequent trips to places like Old Navy. I put $5 on the counter and I say, give me the softest pair of socks that you have. (laughs) Another really great thing that you can do is to schedule your self-care. Like on Thursday, December 20, whatever, I'm going to take my Old Navy socks and light my favorite candle and watch my favorite trashy reality TV show. Because when you do it like that, first of all, you hold yourself to doing the self-care thing to make yourself feel better. And it also gives you something to look forward to. So you wake up on Monday and you're like, ah, I just can't do it. But then you're like, but wait though, on Friday, those socks are about to be popping. So self-care is very, very important. Be nice to yourself, be kind to yourself because much of this world is not gonna do the same for you. Speaking of self-care, number four is un plug I personally work in media and I work in a newsroom which means that I'm surrounded by all of the worst news stories every single day And I also follow people on Twitter who are very smart and they're very into current events and politics. but I can go days of feeling down and not realizing why I'm so tired and unhappiness and because I'm I'm seeing terrible shit float down my timeline all the time. I'm getting yelled at by Trump trolls who are pretending to be black people very, very poorly, like not doing a good job. When that happens, I really have to remind myself that it is okay to turn off Twitter, go take a walk. So please, routinely unplug. It's okay. You have permission. Number five, don't forget to plug back in. (laughs) Like definitely take a break. Definitely uh, chill out for a while. But if you're a person who often finds themselves participating in very important conversations online like your voices are the ones that we need to hear the most especially right now because there's a good chance that we could be silenced in the coming four years so definitely take a break but we need you out here more than ever please come back rest up eat an apple apples are good for you get nice and strong and come back number six this is going to loop back in with our first tip which was find a therapist This tip is take your medicine. If you take some sort of mood stabilizer for something like oppression. Oppression. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I wish there was a pill. My oppression is acting up again. Okay. If you're taking a medicine for any sort of physical ailment that you can or cannot see, it's really, really important that you take your medicine and that you take it regularly and that if you stop taking it, you do it with a doctor's care. And listen, as somebody who was taking a medicine for her anxiety... I know that thing that happens when you've been taking it regularly and you feel great and you feel quote unquote normal and you're like, I don't need these meds anymore. And then in a week you're like on the couch surrounded by like dirty cereal bowls and you're like, how did it get this bad? How do I get out? How do I climb out of this? You climb out of it by continuing to take your medicine. (laughs) And I know that it's as much easier said than done. Taking your meds is so, so important. So do it. Make it a point. And the seventh and final thing on this very, very quick list of ways to take care of your mental health as our country slowly burns down is support others. And I have the cutest story. The day after the election, I noticed that things got really, really awful for me on social media. Just like as soon as the election was over, there, like the number of trolls increased. The people calling me apes in my mention just like skyrocketed. And I don't even like really get that much hate. And this was just like an onslaught. And so I mentioned it and I was like, wow, it's only been one day and already like the hate that I'm getting in my mentions has increased tenfold. And do you know what happened? There were so many responses to that tweet that said, oh, well, then I guess it's my job to fill your mentions with even more love. And it was just an hour of really nice things that people were saying in response to all of the hate that people were saying. And it made me feel like stronger and able to deal because I actually took a little sabbatical from Twitter for a lot of reasons after the election. And one of them was just like, I just felt so deflated. And I was like, this isn't fun. The, the Internet is not a fun space for me anymore. And seeing those responses let me know that all is not lost. There's a lot of shitty things and shitty people in the world. But there's also a lot of really, really good and great people in the world. Um, so we're going to make that tip 7A. Make a point to stop and smell the roses because they're still there, even though the world's a trash fire. There's roses around the dumpster. Don't forget those. But anyway, back to supporting other people. Do it. It's important. And especially if you find yourself a woman of privilege of any sort, whether it's racial, economic, sexual, whatever, make sure that you support the people who are going to suffer the most in this new administration. Support them with money money is good like love is great love is awesome i love 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 does not pay bills or make policy changes send your money to organizations that help the people who are going to suffer the most it makes them feel better it makes you feel better and it'll help make this world the best kind of place that it can possibly be in the next four years
0: Thank you, Tracy. You can listen to her wisdom and laughter every week on another round with Heaven and Tracy. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. I get mine at Whole Foods, but boy, are they overpriced. Let's hear what Tessa Thompson, our favorite superhero and resident advice columnist, has in store for us this week. Here's our listener question. My anxiety and depression is frequently getting in the way of my interpersonal relationships. I'm working on it, and it's getting better, but I still struggle with how to explain why I'm always messing up to other people. With close friends, it's easier, but with people I don't know that well or have to work with, how do I disclose about my mental health struggles? How do I apologize and explain without making excuses? I guess it's a really tricky question, because in some ways I think whenever you're dealing
3: with something, it's really important to be able to have kind of transparency about it and i don't know what your methods are of dealing with your own mental health issues but i felt like i you know when i go through periods of have for example in my job there's lots of situations where i'm thrown into being with a lot of new people that i don't know and i realize like oh i have social anxiety like how do i deal with that and it can be a really you know tricky thing and at a certain point, I was like, oh, I have to deal with that because it's something that I'm going to be confronted with. And so I used to be a kind of person, especially growing up in L.A., that it would be dismissive of people and like – that got too self-healthy about doing things like meditation or like how important exercise is or (laughs) things like that. And, um, the truth is those things are really, really great. They're really, really great for mental health, whether or not you think you struggle with mental health or not. I'm pretty sure we all have issues with anxiety and depression and things like exercise and meditation really do help. And then it's great that you are able to talk to your to your friends. And I would say continue to talk to your friends and don't feel like you're making excuses for yourself when you're just acknowledging where you're at. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but maybe, you know, if you don't feel safe sharing with other people in your world, then maybe you don't I can wait on that and just continue to be forgiving with yourself.
0: Tessa Thompson, thank you. For the advice, but also just for your face. In times of darkness and grief, inspiration and solace can be found in art. After losing her mother, Michelle Zauner, who performs under the name Japanese Breakfast, transformed her grief into music. The music in this piece is from the Japanese breakfast album Psycho Pomp. Last year, I wrote an album called Psychopomp. It was
6: inspired largely by my mom's death and illness. My mom was a brutally honest person. She's an immigrant parent, so we had a lot of issues growing up because I was a very independent person. And in my early 20s, she was just like, you know, I just, I never met anyone like you. And I thought it was so crazy to, like, have your mom say something like that. My mom knew a lot more about me than I gave her credit for and ultimately understood me more than anyone. When I was at college, she bought me a pair of cowboy boots because there was like a time in college that I, you know, rocked cowboy boots for a really long time. And she bought me a new pair of cowboy boots and she walked in our house for like three or four days because we had the same shoe size. She walked in those cowboy boots to break them in for me. That's like some real like mother love. I started this project. It was called Where is My Great Big Feeling? And On the first day that we started, I kind of had this feeling that there was something really wrong with my mom's health. She wouldn't talk to me about it, and actually, um, I kept kind of pushing her. And after writing the first two songs, she finally admitted that she was sick, that she had cancer. My mom is, like, an incredibly proud woman and was just like, listen, we're going to do two rounds of chemotherapy. If it doesn't do anything, we're going to stop. I left my partner, I left my band, I moved out of my house, and I moved back to Eugene, Oregon to help her through her treatment. And then it was like a nightmare. I basically arrived the day that she had started her chemo. And they were going to go really, really hard. And they hit her really, really hard with it. Five days into her first chemotherapy, she was throwing up. She was completely depleted of everything, and, like, she just went mentally, like, off. And that really, really scared her. The more medication she was on, the more that she would, like, fall back into her first language. And I'm half Korean, and I think that was another really complicated part was, like, I didn't know how to comfort someone from another country through illness it's a really weird thing you know you make like chicken soup or whatever like really neutral like American foods and it's like my mom was Korean she doesn't she didn't eat American food she ate Korean food and it's like I grew up with a lot of Korean food but I don't know like the Korean food like the the like illness foods you know I know like the foods that you eat like on a daily basis. So I didn't know how to prepare those things. And I think that there was like a lot of guilt about that and there was also a lot of fear that I was gonna lose access to that part of my heritage. After the second chemo, she decided to stop. We were gonna go to Korea. It was kind of like a goodbye homeland trip, sort of. We got there, she got really sick and she was in the hospital for two weeks and at one point she was on a ventilator and it was looking like she was not gonna come out of it. One thing that was really hard for my mom was that she wasn't gonna be able to see me like have kids or get married. And I had been with my partner for a year and a half and I called him from Korea and I was like, I think we should get married. And he was just like, okay, let's do it. And so I went back into the hospital room, and I was like, "Mom, I'm getting married. You have to like get yourself out of this situation. You have to like come back to life. We have to go back to Oregon and plan a wedding." All of a sudden, it was like there was this like lightness for a little bit. For the next like two weeks, I like tried on a wedding dress in the uh, hospital room, and she kind of slowly like got herself out of the hospital. We flew back to Oregon. Two weeks later, we had a wedding. Two weeks afterwards, she passed away. And it was so cyclical and crazy because two weeks before I wrote my wedding vows and then two weeks later, I had to write her eulogy. I had a new wedding ring put on my finger and then two weeks later, my dad put on my mom's wedding ring on my other hand. I stuck around in Oregon for about four or five months to just kind of help put the house together, to make sure that my dad was okay. I'd always played music. I started putting together a record. The first song I think I wrote after my mom passed away was In Heaven. In the pre-chorus, it says I'm trying to believe when I sleep, it's really you visiting me in in dreams, like they say that angels do. Uh, I think it really encapsulates what I was feeling. I'm, I'm an atheist, and I think a lot of people in my friend circle. They worship science and progress and technology. And those things can feel really cold when you're trying to explain something that's very heartbreaking and mysterious. It was really frustrating because in some ways I couldn't communicate with my immediate friend group because they just didn't know what to say. And I couldn't communicate with my family or feel comforted by my family because they would say things like, you know, she's in a better place, she's in heaven. And so that's what that song is about is just, I needed to find something for myself that was not necessarily religious or heaven oriented, but was something more than that's it. I do think that it's an uplifting record. I think that that's what people want to hear and maybe in some ways what I needed. And I think I needed to make a record that felt good while also writing lyrics that were about the kind of hard truths of the situation. I had always been such uh, an open person, such an outspoken person, and all of a sudden I felt very, very quiet. And I wonder if part of that was a product of just feeling like I wasn't allowed to cry because I knew if I started crying my parents started crying so I learned how to swallow so many of my emotions during her illness that when she passed away I couldn't feel like I could let that out and it was really really confusing to me because I didn't know how to communicate with people I didn't know what I wanted from people and so I think that I put together my album, Psychopomp, because it was kind of like I was saying all the things I wanted to be said to me and things I didn't know how to say through music in a lot of ways. My mom was like an enormous personality. Um, She was like an incredibly infectious person. I don't know, it's so cliche, but she really lit up a room in a lot of ways. She made everyone feel really special. And she was really brutally honest with someone to a fault. Um, But that was part of her charm, I think. You know, she had no problem telling you that you, like, I don't know, should, like, not fill in your eyebrows so intensely. Or, like, you know, you, like, should really lint roll that shirt that you're wearing or whatever. But it was like she wanted everyone to be the best version of themselves. And it was always, like, out of love. And I think that that's really hard for people to understand sometimes. But the people who got it, like, really understood how um, important it is to have someone like that in your life.
0: You can find more of Michelle Zauner's music on Bandcamp. This podcast was produced by Pineapple Street Media and Lenny Letter, two media companies making sweet, sweet love. Specifically, it was produced by Jenna Weiss-Berman, Liz Watson, Emily Becker, Barry Finkel, and Gabrielle Lewis. I despise each and every one of them. Special thanks to dudes-in-residence Henry Malofsky, Max Linsky, and Ben Cooley, whose opinions we dismiss, just because. Special thanks to Lenny Editor-in-Chief Jessica Gross, who's so fly... Our music is by Andrew Dost, who we objectify because we can do that now because there's been so many generations of men objectifying women and we're going to objectify him. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week if we're lucky. Thank you again to Blue Apron for sponsoring us today. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. If you're anything like me, you need some fucking help. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, with free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash women. I think you're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. And don't let it just sit in your fridge like an asshole. Order it and use it. That's blueapron.com slash women. Blue apron, a better way to cook. Thank you again to Casper for sponsoring us today. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foam creates an award winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. I can attest to that, although admittedly, I don't do much bouncing. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com/lena and using offer code lena.